the wilderness isn't a scary place, but it's a very fluid place for me. So wherever and however I need to get at God, I do. And however I need to connect with people, I do. And I think that that's part of the thing with the wilderness, right? Like you have people who you find on your sojourn and some of them are struggling more than others. Some are thirsty, some are hungry, and you share what you have. And the things that I've been able to acquire, like I give freely, like I don't believe in the myth of scarcity. And I think that that's the thing about the wilderness that's dope is that there's stuff all around you that you can share in and also teach people how to navigate so that they're good. So yeah, like it's not a thing to me, it's home. Welcome to Sanctified. Join this congregation weekly where hot girls and holiness reside. Where nothing is taboo and revelation is more than the Bible's last book. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a friend, and a lover. And I'm learning to live this life without fear or shame in abundance the way God intended. And I'm LaVon Briggs. I'm a Queens girl, a joy chaser. I'm a daughter of the church and the diaspora. And I'm a black woman spiritual leader who's no longer at war with her body. You ready, LaVon? I'm ready, sis. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another week of Sanctified. Today, we are talking about finding yourself and finding your flock. What, LaVon, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to find yourself? I think finding yourself is an ongoing process of unlearning and relearning and just straight up learning (laughs) about yourself, your quirks, your idiosyncrasies, your divine makeup, what makes you you, and getting to a place where you accept all those parts of yourself and learn to love those parts of yourself. I think when you get there, then you've found yourself. (laughs) For me, finding yourself is sort of an ever-evolving thing. I think that we are continuously growing and, or at least we should be. And if we are not, we might want to check into that. So I think that it is consistently understanding where you are and meeting the needs of where you are and being open to where you're headed. I feel like I'm finding parts of myself and who I've been called to be on the daily. Absolutely. Like the woman that I am now is not the woman that I was three years ago, is not the woman that I'll be three years from now. So it's really cool to keep unfolding to the process of growth. Just like in the scripture, it says God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways and they're highest. Like there's always more ways to learn. It's always like a higher place to go to. And so with the excitement of the journey, with the wisdom of the journey comes some groundedness, right? So how has knowing yourself aided you in your personal ministry and calling? You know, I think that it has helped me recognize that everybody's ministry doesn't have to look the same. And so that has really aided me in accepting who I am, who I'm becoming, and the people 
that God has given me the space, the platform, the grace to be his loving arms too. Exactly. And it's so interesting that you said aid and ministry, because if I remember correctly, rendering aid was one of the definitions of ministry that we really resonated with in our ministry just wasn't for me episode with us too. And y'all should really go check that one out if you haven't already, or just give it another listen, child. And it's the same thing for me. I feel like finding myself has allowed myself to be big and bold and vulnerable because I'm no longer ashamed of my story. And I think when you are living in your authentic self, that helps you to live into your authentic purpose and calling. And so then I am able to help others because I first served myself. And so that has helped me to feel very grounded in my personal walk with God, but also in how I show up in the world to inspire others to walk their path with God. And I think stepping into who God made us to be helps us to find those people, right? Like your voice resonates with the folks who are called to Deborah Joy. My voice resonates with the folks who are called to LaVon Briggs. And I just feel like we went through (laughs) so much to get to a place where we could stand in the truth of who we are and to stand in our power. Because there were points in my faith journey where it felt like, the wilderness experience, like in 4K. (laughs) But on the other side of that wilderness experience of aligning with yourself and aligning with your calling, you will find your people. Absolutely. I think you'll find your people. And I think that there's a forging that happens to you in the wilderness. Good word. And it's a reminder, you know, you talked about how the Bible says, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And Mm -hmm. people can get so much into trying to say, well, this is my identity. And so, God, I need you to do this, this, and this. And God is very expansive. And I think if we can stop trying to connect God to our identity and we connect our identity to God, that takes the limit off of who God is, which means that takes the limit off of who we are and all the things that we can do. Come on, somebody. And so I think sometimes if we just sort of sit in that and reverse that and stop saying, what can I do on my own if I attach God to this? And it's, what can I do when I attach myself to who God is? Mm. I think that is something that truly allows you to live in the fullness of what God has for you and really find not just yourself, but your full purpose and everybody that is attached to the purpose that you have in this life on this earth. Mm -hmm. That's so good, DJ, because I'm thinking of all the recovering church girls and how we were taught at a young age what ministry is. It's service to the church. But if that doesn't bring you joy, And you coming into the sanctuary like, oh, I got to be here again. (laughs) Yeah. You know, burnout is real. Yeah, absolutely. You have to find what it is that brings out the best in you. You know, if my Auntie Cece's here in town and she's singing somewhere, she's doing whatever. If she's got to grab a bunch of bags before she got, I'm grabbing a bag. 
I don't care who I am. I don't care what, like I, (laughs) these are things that make me happy to be able to hold something for someone, to be able to walk with them, grab this for them. Oh no, no, no. Oh wait, no. Right. Get her a tissue. She's sweating right here. I don't want you to go out like this. I don't want, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or being at your best friend's wedding. And it's like, Ooh, ooh, wait, don't take that picture. Let me fix your hair real quick, girl. Right. These are all ministries in different capacities that all have to happen. But when you're doing it out of anger and frustration, then it's not ministry. And the key that you said is that it makes you happy. I think I was in many situations where I was not encouraged to center my happiness and what brought me joy. And so when I started to say, well, what does excite me? What lights me up? That was when I found myself, but I didn't just find myself. I accepted myself. And then similarly, once I started accepting myself, I started attracting the people, right? Who resonated with my journey and with my message. And then from there, I started to ask the questions, well, what needs can I meet? In what way can I serve people that feels authentic and life-giving to me? And that helped me to align my very (laughs) non-traditional ministry of my dreams. I 100% love that. Yeah. So as we're thinking about our callings and our ministries and how we show up in the world, It has been so important for me to honor that my ministry does not need to be legitimized by others' validation. Because if I had waited for certain pastors, preachers, teachers to affirm my call and how I show up in the world, talking about God, talking about sex, cussing, encouraging Black women to center themselves, right? I wouldn't be unsanctified. I wouldn't be encouraging Black women to love themselves unapologetically. So I've learned that there's definitely a difference between societal pressure of how things should look and God's call and how it needs to look for me. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of times, particularly coming from a family in ministry, maybe it's not in church, but maybe your family has been running this company for 50 years and you are just like, eh, I know it's supposed to be going to me, but that's not what I love. That's not my passion. That's not what I feel like God has given me to do. Right. Just because it is a family legacy does not mean it is your calling. And I think that that misconception is really strong in the church community. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times people are like, well, this is what my family did. So this is what I'm going to do. Like that means I'm supposed to be a singer somewhere, you know, singing gospel music and only singing maybe within the four walls of the church or somewhere that feels very much so Christian conservative. Mm-hmm. That's not where God has called me to be. And I 100% acknowledge the legacy that families have set and the sacrifices they have made. And I honor them, but you can honor what God has done through them and recognize that God is going to do something different and new through you as well. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of listeners are going to resonate with that, DJ. Thank you for sharing that. And kudos to you for (laughs) trusting big God. God is big. That's how you be saying it. Trusting God, right? To help you forge your own path. And it feels scary, especially when you do have a family legacy behind you and people are like, well, wait, what are you? Why ain't you? Hi, you. The questions. What's scarier is me questioning myself and regretting not doing the things that I know were burning inside me to do. My mom always asks me, she's like, why do you feel the need to spill your guts to the world? And I tell her, 
it actually feels unnatural to not be vulnerable and transparent. It's just a gift that I have. I can't explain it. It's the God-given gift. That's how I explain it. (laughs) And you have to own that. I think that as we redefine what finding yourself and, and finding the people that you are called to means, I think you have to first own the God-given story that you have. That is you. Your vulnerability is what allows people to see themselves and to see that you are okay in whatever state you find yourself in. And you are meant to not just be here, but to be that light to somebody else. There's always someone else far away that's like, man, how are they going to get out of that? Or how did they make it through this? And if you're not vulnerable sharing your story and doing the ministry that God has called you to do, then how are some people going to see the way? My grandmother used to tell me that sometimes you will be the only light that some people see. So what you going to do? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. That's one of the first songs we learn in church, right? Absolutely. I'm going to shine my light. And if I have to carve out the space for me to shine my light, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Where no space has been made for your calling, you get to make your own space. That is a possibility. I love doing ministry in the 21st century. I'm thinking of all the ways that we've had to learn how to congregate virtually because of the pandemic. Being able to shift shape and navigate and experiment. Like, I believe that's a part of the fun of faith is to say, how can we do things differently? And then the last thing that I'm really thinking about for this is that ministry is so necessary that it's bigger than church. Because when we think about, let's say, an organization like Habitat for Humanity, they're not necessarily inviting you to church, but they are building homes to house our unsheltered kin. So, It might not be a big old cross on top of a church and the steeple and the people, right? But that is still ministry. That is still provision. That is still God's love and care expressed through human hands. So I think that's really powerful. Absolutely. I think this testifier we have today has really understood how to use her voice and how to use everything that she has to give aid and service to a community in need. And so that's what we want to do at the end of the day. We want to be able to help another human. That's what this life is about. So today's testimony comes from literally one of the most beautiful souls. I had the pleasure of speaking with her seven, eight months ago and just her smile and her passion for what she does was illuminous. Alicia is a justice educator, an activist, and a minister whose work really addresses the spiritual, systemic, and interpersonal harm that people experience. And she has stepped into her calling as clergy. You really have to hear her story. So please welcome Alicia Crosby Mack. My name is Alicia Crosby Mack, and this is my testimony. 
all my life. Folks have told me that I was meant to be a minister just like my dad. So I'm actually a third generation clergy. I needed to find myself as a minister. And I don't think I had to go through the same degree of processing of who I was as a queer person. I came out at 30. I started embracing myself as a minister around maybe 31, 32. And it's now at 36 that I'm ordained. Until recently, I hadn't seen images of myself in the church as ministers. Like my ministerial muse is John the Baptist. I love the image of his ministry being where the people are, being at the river and literally God, son of God met you there. That's meaningful to me. And I didn't really see that. Every time I would hear people speak about ministry and clergy, it always had to do with the congregational church. And I just knew that wasn't my jam. That wasn't my bag. So it took me a really long time to want to be ordained. And it was the queerness of my community that pushed me towards ordination. Specifically, I wanted to marry folks. I wanted to be able to bury folks when their time in this world comes to an end. I wanted to celebrate and christen and do community dedications for babies and for young people. I wanted to do all of these things for LGBTQ folks and other folks who found themselves on the outside of congregations because of who they were and how they were and what they believed. Like if I didn't accept who I was as a queer pansexual woman, I don't know if I could be ordained clergy because I wouldn't be living in the fullness of who I was meant to be as a minister. So it was a little bit easier just coming out as a queer person than it was as a minister. And I think in part that's because people told me I was supposed to be a minister. Nobody ever told me I was supposed to be queer. I knew, knew, I think for the first time that I wasn't straight when I was 16. I had this friend who I was really close to and I was just like wildly attracted to her. It was like undeniable. Oh my gosh, she's gorgeous. And I felt a way, same way about her that I felt about all the little dudes that I was like concerned about for many a year. (laughs) And I talked to a couple of my best friends at the time. I remember like there being a celebration for my friends and like just being like, oh, that's so awesome. But then I told my pops. My dad reacted poorly when I told him I thought I was bisexual. Like, that's a sin. You can't be. Like, you're not. And me being a daddy's girl, I'm like, okay, so I guess I'm not. I repressed those feelings that were clear as a bell for the better part of 15 years. I think it's, you know, it it cost me. It cost me being able to be who I was fully much younger. It cost me potentially beautiful relationships. I thought that I couldn't be who God wanted me to be and be queer. When people deny those of us who are LGBTQ, they're denying a part of, of God and the holy because we're all image bearers of God. As I prayerfully enter into elderhood and whenever I become a, an ancestor, I want to leave behind a legacy of love. I want to leave behind work and stories where folks understood that they could show up whole. I don't want people to have to choose if they're going to be religious or be queer. If I leave anything behind, I want to leave behind wholeness and in people coming into places in their wholeness that they are not just tolerated, they are not just affirmed, that they are celebrated, loved, and delighted in. My name is Alicia Crosby Mack and that is my testimony. We'll be right back with the fellowship after this. Alicia! 
Welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here with y'all. <laughs> we are very happy to have you. I was stating that right before we got to listen to your testimony, just how luminous and bright and beautiful you are and were when I first met you months ago. You shine, honey. So we are very happy to have you here in the Sanctified Building. Let's dig in. I think my first question for you is, can you describe to our listeners the ministry that you've been called to and what that looks like on a day-to-day basis? I actually can (laughs) describe it using a dream that I had um, in this past week. So in this dream, there's this church and I was there to preach and there was like a whole bunch of stuff happening, like in and out of the sanctuary, folks were lining up. I remember there being like actually two distinct lines of, of women who were going into the church, but I was outside cooling it underneath like this tarp thing. (laughs) And I wasn't a part of the processional. I wasn't a part of, you know, all of the pomp and the movement in the space. I was just out there on the outside until it was ready for me to be inside. And I was comfortable and I could see everything that was happening. I had a good view, but there was no rush. There was ease in me being outside and that's what my ministry is. So in the dream and also in real life, I've been in and out of the sanctuary my entire life. I'm a pastor's kid. I used to joke that like, as soon as I could be in a church, I was in a pew. And it's very much the case. I mean, my family, we literally live next door to our church. The church was a storefront. We lived like above it, two doors down. And so I was always there. But even with that being my beginnings, even with church at some point being in our house, I'm called to the outside. Like, I think that there are a lot of people who find themselves navigating outside the walls of traditional houses of worship, but it doesn't mean that they aren't faithful. It doesn't mean that they don't have a desire to connect with the holy. And that's where my pastoring, my ministry abides, is with those who are in these wild, uncultivated spaces on purpose, whether that purpose was their own or someone else's, but they still want to connect to God and they still want to claim really their inheritance as people of faith. That's where I'm at. And that's where you should be. You mentioned being outside several times. And there's something about being in the outdoors, being out in nature, to the point where you mentioned how John the Baptist is your ministerial muse because he ministered outside (laughs) of the synagogues. (laughs) John the Bay. He also spent a lot of time in the wilderness, receiving words from God, coming into his calling and being this lone voice crying out. How do you, Alicia, move through your wilderness experiences? I mean, the wilderness at at this point is home to me. I haven't been a part of a congregation officially since 2014, but it feels good out here. My conversations with the Holy Spirit happen really late at night. Me and my sis be chatting, 3 a.m., 2 a.m. My prayer life is really fluid. The scriptures have different types of meaning for me, and I can hold them differently. It's not like I'm you know, necessarily a part of any Bible studies, even if I do, through some of my gigs, coordinate them for other people. Like the wilderness isn't a scary place but it's a very fluid place for me. So wherever and however I need to get at God, I do. And however 
I need to connect with people, I do. And I think that that's part of the thing with the wilderness, right? Like you have people who you find on your sojourn and some of them are struggling more than others. Some are thirsty, some are hungry and you share what you have. And the things that I've been able to acquire, like I give freely, like I don't believe in the myth of scarcity. And I think that that's the thing about the wilderness that's dope is that there's stuff all around you that you can share in and also teach people how to navigate so that they're good. So yeah, like it's not a thing to me, it's home. That's a beautiful way to look at it. It takes the sort of anxiety and stress out of feeling like, oh no, this is the wilderness. What am I going to do? There can be an ease to the wilderness. What about the relationship with your father? As you mentioned, um, you came out when you were 30 and it was hard for him to accept that. Uh, So what was that relationship? Did that lend to your wilderness? And where is it now? Has it affected your ministry in any sort of way? Yeah, it really didn't. I mean, my relationship with my pops, you know, is interesting in that my parents don't always tell me that they're proud of me, but they've actually in- been intentional about it, doing it a little bit more in this past year because life has been hard, y'all. <laughs> like even in recording this right now, like I'm recording this from a hotel because I had a Christmas day flood in my house. And so we've been displaced for like a month. It's just like thing on top of thing on top of thing. But back in September, I remember my dad telling me we actually had a family crisis and he called me that day and he's like, you and God have exceeded all my hopes for you. Like what you're doing is beyond anything I could imagine. And I cried (laughs) because we had had like a really big fight over the summer (laughs) and our relationship had cooled a little bit because of it. But like for him to come back with that and also apologies in that conversations was really redemptive. There was delight in who I am as a minister, and particularly in that moment, because I had recently become an ordained minister. And so for him to like rejoice in my ordination and for me to be yet another generation of minister in my family and him to acknowledge and observe that and and have delight in that, and my mom too, that was really dope. (laughs) So it hasn't affected my wilderness, but definitely our relationships have had challenges at times, but... A friend of mine years ago told me that when you grow, or at least you mean in me, when I grow and when I move, I bring my people along with me, not always willingly. I feel like that's kind of the case with my parents. They've come with me, but they've done it in their own pace. And that's because, you know, I listen to the wisdom of the spirit. Like, I'm not going to like shove stuff down your throat. I understand that sometimes people's objections to LGBTQ lifestyles, quote unquote, it's used in our community. Their objection is about survival. I'm my father's oldest, my mother's only. And this, in addition to my audacious like nature, sets me out even further. It makes me more distinct. And that's a thing of fear for people at times, particularly Black parents. And so I can understand if they don't want me to be divergent or didn't want me to be, because it is seen as divergence to be LGBTQ, period, but especially in Black spaces in a world that's increasingly transphobic and queerphobic. And so the grace that I learned to impart to them is paying off. Like my mama sent me and my wife, like girl, girl Christmas cards. It was very cute. So, you know, they're growing. They just need time and grace. 
I feel like those are two essential ingredients in reconciliation. And thank you for bringing up our beloved LGBTQ plus kin. Reconciliation is a heavy word and you have been able to reconcile these two parts of your identity, right? Showing up as queer and minister in addition to being black and woman and, and right. (laughs) So what has reconciling being queer and a minister afforded you in your walk with God and your walk with others? So reconciliation is like a really tricky word at times, just because it's often used like racial reconciliation, which I think is trash and light isn't real. However, I can use reconciliation here because reconciling means bringing things back to a state of being where they were. And I think that, you know, for me as a minister, I've always been a minister, right? And like that call has always been there. Me being queer, I've always been queer. Like looking backwards, it was clear as day. And so Being a queer minister just means that these things that were always a part of who I was, I'm able to integrate them into my life more fully before things like stigma and other people's understandings of human sexuality and also ministerial capacity had an ability to affect me. And so I really am going back to that place where God's heart always was for me. I just had to like understand that this was always me. And so for me, yeah, it is a a reconciliation and bringing those parts of myself together, Black, queer, disabled, like all of these things means that I am able to acknowledge myself fully, which means I can care for myself fully. And that means I've been able to impart care to others fully as a minister. And the more I discover about myself, there's just more fullness that will abide there for me, which means there's more fullness for other people to draw from. Wow. Alicia, there's a joy that you speak with even in talking about hard things, which is really outstanding to me. That makes me think of the joy of the Lord and that joy that you have, nobody can take it. It feels so grounded, which is such a beautiful thing because we know that ministry gets heavy. Activism gets heavy. And so outside of this innate joy that God has really given you, that feels like a foundation for you, what are some of the things that you do to get you through those heavier times? The homies keep me going. I have really, really, really good friends and even more of a blessing. Many of them are not a part of this world. Some of them are, some of them aren't. So like my bestie I met in college. My sis, I met when we were working, when I was working in a church and she was actually a ministry assistant for me there. Then I've got like other like really good homies who I've met like in ministry work and nonprofit work. I got my group chats, the Twitter homies. (laughs) There's so many places and spaces that I have developed like these really dope friendships that carry me, that sustain me, that supply me with memes and foolery um, where I can cut up. Those are the things that are a bomb for me, but I would really be remiss if I didn't mention my wife. She has been such an anchor for me over these last four years of relationship. And that's saying something because I was scared to tell this woman (laughs) that I was a minister when we first met. She had inklings because one of my homies is her cousin. (laughs) And she's like, ah, it's possible, but I don't know. But even in navigating her own religious trauma from go, 
she was so supportive of me. I remember the first sermon that I preached. It was actually a Lenten sermon when we had first started dating. And she checked in with me that morning on my way to the church. I was actually at home visiting family in New York and I was preaching in Brooklyn. And she sends me like a text like, you got this, babe. The Holy Spirit's going to speak through you. You're exactly what's needed. And then when she figured that the second service that I was um, preaching was over, she sent me another message sharing how she couldn't wait to hear my sermon later on but she already knew that I had done my thing and I did my good co-creative work with God. And it was such a, a redemptive thing for me because I'm telling you, I was scared, very scared. And just all the way through and through, like she has been my rock. And so when I'm having bad days and I have just struggles of different sorts, right? Folks having an issue with the way that I minister, people challenging parts of my identity. You know, I'm a, a visioner, a dreamer. <laughs> and so if I have something even that's come through in a dream that's been like deeply upsetting, like she holds me and she holds all of me. And I'm so deeply grateful for that relationship. That is so beautiful. I receive it, Lord. Okay. So <laughs> as you are sharing with us your journey to showing up really in spite of the people who challenge your identity, right? Like you are emboldened, you are grounded, you are powerful and assured. And I know that there are some Black women clergy who are hoping and dreaming to be as grounded and assured and powerful as you are. So Alicia, what is your biggest hope for future Black women clergy whose identities still might be challenged? My hope for them is to filter out the sound noise so that they can hear the call of the holy. It does not matter what anybody says but God. And my hope for these sisters is that they enter into a space like where they're in that pocket with the spirit and where they can hear the spirit of God calling clearly, like they can feel it in their bones. And in that hearing, they are emboldened to take whatever, whoever on. I think that with churches being what they are and the politics of places, even in like religious nonprofits or whatever, people find themselves caught up in the bureaucracy of these places and like, so and so's a gatekeeper and this, that, and the third, but like what you were called to, can't nobody take from you. The end. So I also hope boldness for these sisters. And boldness that comes with the authority of the fact that your creator has placed this desire in you and you have consented. You have said yes. And that yes means that no, no can block you. And so, yeah, those are my hopes for, for these sisters. Mm, I love it. Alicia, you are somebody's pastor, okay? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your courage and just the recognizing that what God says yes to can't it don't matter what nobody else says that's the shout right there because there's so many things wouldn't get done if we decided to just listen to people instead of what god says alicia crosby mack thank you alicia thank you for being here it's my honor and my joy thank y'all many many thanks to alicia and now we are going to take a short break but coming up next it's offering time
in time, y'all. But before we get there, we got some church announcements, okay? We are so grateful for all the love y'all have been showing Sanctify. It is so affirming. And we want to continue to build and welcome more of you into the Sanctify community. So in order to do that, we need y'all to do a few things. First, hit the follow button so you are notified of everything we do over here at Sanctified. And don't forget to rate us on the Spotify app, y'all. Please tap the star and give, let's just go with five. Go ahead and give us five. And lastly, tap that bell so you're notified as soon as a new episode is released. And now it is offering time. We don't want anything from you. We want to give something affirming to you. I got to say, as a black woman minister, when Alicia was talking about dating as a minister, (laughs) honey, baby, that could be a whole episode, I promise you. But dating as a spiritual leader, as a spiritualist, it just requires a particular layer of nuance that some of my sisters might be feeling. So if that's you, beloved, Be your authentic self because like a friend told me a long time ago, no matter where you go in life, the real you is always going to show up. And so you want to be with someone who celebrates all of you. And if being a minister is a part of all of you, child, then do that. And even if you don't identify as a minister, I feel very strongly that there are a lot of sisters walking around serving as pastors, even if they don't have the role in title. Y'all are out here helping us to walk with the truth of our lives. You're being with us through life's peaks and valleys. You're celebrating the highs. You're helping us to accept and navigate the lows. And you're not allowing us to be tied or or, or tying our worthiness to where we are in life. That feels very pastoral to me. And so shout out to you for doing the work your soul must have, to quote Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon, because that blesses the collective, even as it blesses you. That's beautiful, LaVon. And I think for me, when you understand that whatever you're doing that renders aid, whether it's listening, whether it's giving a hug, whether it's giving advice, whether it's simply sitting with, you are ministering. And so I would just encourage you and offer to you to find who you are and let God reveal that magnanimous, beautiful ministry that he has for you in this world. And don't think about what anybody else says. I realize nobody has a heaven or hell to put you in and nobody can say no to you when God has said yes. Come on, magnanimous. So find you and find your ministry Yes, and watch how God shows up and shows out for you. I know that's right. And you know, one of the things that we learn about in seminary with pastoral care and counseling is the ministry of presence. And so I love that you brought that up because our listeners are engaging in the ministry of presence with us. So we thank y'all for your ministry of presence and joining us today on Sanctify. Please come on back with your ministry of presence and get sanctified with us next week. And bring a sister friend with you. Or two. Or three. Also... Email us at sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com and let us know what you would like to hear us talk about. And if we've talked about something that you maybe want us to go further into, let us know that too. Yeah, deep dive. (laughs) We love you. Thank you so much. And until next week, 
go in peace and go in love and know that you are worthy. Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday, only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.